Well, we've come to our last session. Judah has been pleading for Benjamin. We have seen there a, a picture, a type of intercessory prayer. You know, learning how to move God because of our, our prayer. Then we get to this final moment. The moment that's, that our trials have led us up to. The moments that revival hopefully has prepared us for. It's the moment of revelation where Christ reveals himself or Joseph reveals himself. I don't know who I'm talking about, Jesus or, or Joseph. The same principle. In chapter 45 of Genesis, it says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, caused every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And he wept aloud. This is the third time in the story he weeps. But this time is not in secret. And I am sure if I was one of those 11 brothers witness this, I think I would be very confused, but more than that, I think I'd be very petrified. This guy's losing it. All the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? The Bible doesn't say it. But I have a sneaky suspicion suspicion they were all slain in the spirit at that moment. <laughs> I think they fell over. I'm making that up. It's not in your Bible. And his brothers could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Joseph had totally forgiven his brothers. We're about now to have the reason why the trials and the reason why the revival. Because Joseph is about to reveal, it's my desire that where I am, you may be also, to use the words of Jesus. And understanding now that you came just to have your needs met, but your agenda was too small. God's agenda is that you would be joint heirs together with the glory that I have received in my ascension. Much higher program. How you and I have got to learn to read our Bibles from God's perspective, not from our human need perspective. I'm afraid churches too often are trying to relate God to people's needs. Do you know that we produce a very man-centered gospel that way? We're trying to relate God to people's needs. Well, thank God he meets needs. But you and I better learn to relate people to God's purpose. And let's build a church not where the center is meeting people's needs, where the center is relating people to Jesus Christ. What a difference. What a difference. We need our eyes open to see God's purpose for his son. I mean, if we exist to meet people's needs, you're going to be run off your feet because the devil will manufacture more needs than you're going to be able to handle in your lifetime. You'll never be able to do it. 
We're not here to meet people's needs. We're here to glorify Jesus Christ. And if your needs get met in the process, well, great. But Jesus Christ is the center, not your needs. And that's an important perspective. And so these brothers are about to relate to Joseph, his agenda for them, to be joint heirs together in the glory that, that he has received. It's quite a story. I'm sure they are more than shocked. I'm sure they are terrified. But he had learned to love his brothers. It didn't feel like it to them when they were going through the process. But now they're understanding. You and I go through things and we're not understanding the process. If God is love, then why this? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he feel my pain? Why doesn't he's all powerful? He can do something about my situation. Why isn't he not doing it? I'm crying out to him in as pure as faith as I know. And he seems to have a deaf ear. You know, oh, we say this, we say this, we say this, and I have to confess I've said that a few times in my life. Probably more than a few. But now we're at the end of the story, we're seeing it from his perspective. Yes, he does love us. Now, listen carefully to this. How do I know that Joseph loved his brothers? That love was the motivation through the hard times he put them through. How shall I know? I want you to note this. Before he revealed himself to his brothers, he had everybody else leave. Listen carefully. Nobody, not even Pharaoh, knew what his brothers had done in their past. He does not tarnish the reputation of those he forgives. Yes, I forgive them, (laughs) but you know what they did to me, but oh, I forgave them. I'm sorry, you don't advertise what you've just forgiven. It's a secret. Are you able to forgive others without letting anybody in the whole world know how you've been hurt? Now that's forgiveness. You don't advertise the wrong done against you. Everybody is put out of the room while Joseph reconciles his brothers to himself. Nobody is a witness of this. Nobody. Can I repeat it? Not even Pharaoh knows what these men have done. Can you hide the sins of others? Can you make sure their reputation is not tarnished when you forgive them? Don't let the world know about how you have been hurt. So there's a sermon there, isn't it? There's a sermon there. How do I know there's total forgiveness here? Well, verse 3 says, his brothers couldn't answer him. They were troubled at his presence. So Joseph said unto his brethren, verse 4, Come near to me, I pray you. And 
they came there. He said, I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold his servant. Now therefore, don't be grieved, nor be angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years has the famine been in the land, and yet there are five more years in which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Please notice in how Joseph deals with his brothers, he makes them feel at ease. As a matter of fact, he doesn't allow them to feel bad about what they have done. He says, come on guys, it was really God who did this. In other words, you forgive them, and they're hurting under what they have done, but you are lifting the pressure. You see, God has applied the pressure to them, and now you come to the point of forgiving them. And you know what you do? Is you lift the pressure off of them. That's forgiveness. You keep it a secret. You don't tell anybody what you've been hurt of by. You don't tarnish the reputation of those you forgive. And you lift the pressure off them. Come on guys, it was God who did this. I'm your brother. Now come near to me. Let's be family. That's forgiveness. Do we understand what forgiveness is? In other words, he made it easy, as easy as possible, for them to forgive themselves. Instead of sticking it to them, he did everything possible to help them forgive themselves By taking the pressure. You sold me, but it really wasn't you. It was God who sent me ahead of you to save your lives. Can I repeat all of that? Is it worth repeating? Is it worth repeating? What is total forgiveness? When you totally forgive somebody, it means you don't advertise what these people have done. You hide it. You don't tarnish their reputation. You don't let the world know what they did to you. You don't tarnish their reputation by saying, I forgave those people who did such and such against me. You don't do that. You make them feel at ease. You give them the power to... to to don't allow them to feel bad about themselves. Uh, you see the hand of God in it, you, and you do what you can to relieve all the pressure that God has put on them. God has put pressure on them to bring them to this point. They've come to the point. Now you're taking as much of that pressure off of them as possible. Once it's learned, once the act is done, you're relieving all the pressure. That's forgiveness. Can you and I do that? Joseph had learned, indeed, to love his brothers. Well, after the forgiveness, in verse 9, I am confused. Am I talking about Jesus? Am I talking about Joseph? Chapter 45, verse 9, hurry up! 
and go up to my father and say to him, Thus saith thy son Joseph. Hmm. It almost sounds like he's sending them out with a prophetic message, doesn't it? Thus saith the Lord. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't tarry. Do not delay. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. And you shall come near unto me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to your children's children. As many as afar off as our Lord God shall call. I am confused of him in Acts or Genesis. You know, what book of the Bible am I in? I get confused, don't you? This is this Joseph talking to his brothers. This is this Jesus talking to his disciples to, with this message. What a story this is. Verse 11. And there will I nourish you. Oh, I like that. Nourish you. For there are still five years of famine, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. You see, those brothers could have betrayed Benjamin and gone home with blessing and missed out the revelation. Satisfied with revival instead of a revelation of Jesus Christ. So now he sends them out as preachers. So what, what kind of a message are they supposed to preach? And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it is my mouth that speaks unto you. And you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hmm. He's inherited glory. And he wants them to dwell together with him in glory. And of all that you have seen, and you shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell down upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with them. I'm sure it would be very hard to keep a dry eye in such a place. Well, verse 16 says, The fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Pharaoh hasn't got a clue what these guys have done. He hasn't got a clue. I'm sure if he had a clue, he wouldn't be offering them the land like he does. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto your brethren, This you do. Lay your beast and go and get you into the land of Canaan to take your father, your households, and to come unto me. And I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Now that you are commanded, this do ye. Take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Don't bother packing your bags. You don't need anything from that old creation. You're coming to me in glory, and you don't need to bother to pack your bags. You're going to live in the abundance of my inheritance. What a gospel this is. What a gospel this is. You see, after you and I get reconciled to the Lord, then He sends us back out as preachers who are going to talk about the glory that He has received. And then bring an offer of salvation to people. 
and tell him, I want you to come back with me. Come back with me. Come back with me. He's turned them all into prophets. He's turned them all into preachers here. And they go out with this wonderful message of somebody who was wrongfully accused, who has been exalted by the hand of God to the highest place, who now wants to reconcile all people back to himself. Is this Joseph or is this Jesus? Who are we talking about? Well, it continues on in, in verse 21. It says, the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons, according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. And to all of them he gave each man changes of raiments. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five. He's still getting the five-fold treatment. Five changes of raiments. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with good things of Egypt, and then she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his servant, by the way. Boy, when God's going to bring you home, he brings you home with provisions. And they went out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Now sit down, Dad, we've got news for you. <laughs> Joseph is yet alive. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart fainted for he didn't believe them. Would you? I mean, I don't suppose you believed anything these guys have said for the last 22 years. And they told him all the words of Joseph. I mean, I would have liked to have been a fly in the wall and heard some of those conversations going on here. Because there was going to have to come a lot of family reconciliation right then and there in these stories. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. What I find interesting is when Joseph sends them out, he gave him an admonition in verse 24. Don't fall out with each other along the way when you go back. Because, you know, it's one thing to know you've all been forgiven, but you can start saying this, you know, <laughs> you're the one who got us into this mess, <laughs> you know. You know, if you just had that idea of not selling Joseph, and if you just would have done this, and how easy it is for us to do that kind of thing. Let's all admit we're all to blame here, and forget. If the governor can forgive you, then let us forgive one another. Let's wipe the slate clean with one another. We're all forgiven. By him. Now, let's forgive one another. Don't fall out with each other along the way. Otherwise, we're going to complicate the message that we've been told to share. Let's not fall out with one another along the way. What a story. I call this story the Gospel of the Governor.
The story of Joseph, the story of Jesus. The story of you, the story of me. These principles. Let me just close, close this out with a few more scriptures. Key scriptures. One that I have not shared with you yet is Matthew 20 and verse 16, where it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. I used to live in the western part of Canada, where in winter we'd say, Many are cold, but a few are frozen. <laughs> but many are called, but few are chosen. You know what that means? It means not everybody that God calls does he choose. I don't know where I heard this statistic and I cannot verify it, but let me share what I've heard without me being able to verify it. And that is for every 100 people that are called to be a missionary, only one actually makes it. 1%. 99 don't go. Only one out of 100 actually go. 100 people called, only one chosen. 99 called who never get chosen. That means not everybody that God calls does he choose. Because according to, I think it's Isaiah 48 in verse 10, where God says, I've chosen you in the furnace of affliction. In other words, I'm going to see how you act, react, and respond in the furnace of affliction. And if you're winning the trial of your faith, if you're submitting to this word, if you're being justed to this word, then I can see that you're becoming your message. I can choose you. If you're rebelling, if you're fighting, if you're murmuring, if you're complaining, if you just got a bad attitude all around in this whole thing, I can't choose you. I cannot use you in this condition. And so when you're going through the furnace of affliction, God is observing you to see whether or not you can go from being called to being chosen. If that's the way it works, then you and I need to prepare ourselves for proper responses before the Lord as we go through this, these things. Let's remind ourselves that the end of the story is glory. Because maybe I can share this on a very larger scale, not talking about Joseph, but talking about Jesus. But like Joseph, he was betrayed, betrayed by his brothers. Like Joseph, he was falsely accused. And like Joseph, he paid for crimes he did not commit. He paid for the crimes I committed. He paid for crimes he did not commit. Life was unfair to him, but he did not vindicate himself. He did not open his mouth in his own defense. At the trial, he just kept his mouth quiet. Don't you say anything against all these witnesses that speak against you? He did not defend himself. He did not vindicate himself. He allowed God to vindicate him. And he was vindicated by being raised from the dead. He didn't have to offer his own defense. God would do that on his behalf at the resurrection. If Jesus would be like that, then you and I must be like that as well. Let God be our defense. 
Let us wait upon the Lord. But Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He has gone from prisoner to prime minister. He has gone from a slave that was crucified to being king of kings and lord of lords. And now I have taken the place of the ten brothers in the story. I am one of these ten brothers that come because of need. I have no other reason for seeking him except there's something where I can meet my need. But he confuses me because he's working according to a different agenda. What he wants is to position me by himself as a joint heir together with him in glory. I'm not even thinking that. I'm just thinking, God, can you heal my back or can you meet my needs? Can you help me get a job? Can you do something? I'm not even thinking this. But he's thinking that. And so he begins, because he loves us, the process of poking around in our mind and heart and our conscience to dig out of us those things that disqualify us from being joint heirs together with Christ. And it seems harsh and sometimes he puts us in prison, but he weeps when we see him not. Sometimes he gives us revival where he tests to see what's in our hearts in the time of revival. He knows how to bring us to himself. And when we come to this point, like Judah, we take the position of servants. No bargaining power. Humbly submit ourselves to him. And we give our freedom away to become his slave. Means your life's not your own anymore. You don't get to set your own schedule. Your life is gone. You give it away as a slave. Well, there's a revelation coming for the church. One day, the sky will split. He will come. And every I will see him. Our great and blessed hope will arrive. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. We are transformed into his image. We are changed not from glory to glory only, but to the ultimate glory, the resurrection of the body. Joint heirs together with him. And so shall we ever be in the land with him. What a story. So how do you wrap this whole day up? How do you bring it to a conclusion? How do we do it? Well, I think I should take the position of Judah, don't you? Say, Lord, here I am. Give myself to you. Behold your servant. I give away my freedom. I'm yours, yours alone. And just let him do whatever he wants to do. The Gospel of the Governor.